Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is a special edition of Have Not Seen This, our 2022 pre-Oscar roundup. As I did last year, I've assembled a team of highly qualified and knowledgeable and funny panelists. Uh, the original plan was to use different panelists each year for this, but I had so much fun talking with last year's panelists, and uh, they all know what the hell they're talking about, so why change things up? So joining me for this, first up, is from the Double Edge Double Bill podcast, Thomas Mariani. I'm glad to be here, Rafe. Happy to talk about these awards, and it shows, you know, bring us back. You really, really like us. <laughs> <laughs> Had to go with the Sally Field, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> next up from the Why This Film podcast, good friend Emily. Hello! Thank you so much for having me again. This is so exciting. I wasn't going to watch any Oscar movies this year, and now I've had to watch all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comment on that here in a second, though. But before I do, uh, from the YouTube channel, Tangent1985, our good friend Mel. How you doing, Mel? Uh, I am excellent. I am honored, and I feel damn privileged to be here. Oh, the privilege is all mine, trust me. Yeah, Emily brings up a good point, and I did want to take a minute to thank you all. For the people who are listening to this, we actually keep a, a shared spreadsheet where we track which of the Oscar movies we have watched, just so that we know what we're talking about when we get to the actual episode. And watching this amount of movies is just a completely daunting task. Mel and I actually had a discussion about this a couple of weeks ago, and I really just want to thank all three of you for your commitment to watching these and coming to this episode as knowledgeable individuals. And I know I know, not everybody was able to watch every movie. Thomas came damn near close. I think there's like two of the major nominees that you haven't seen, and then you get into the foreign film and, and documentaries. But uh, I just, I'm amazed at the level of commitment. I don't know what you guys would do if there wasn't this obligation as far as Oscar movies go. I find it a great time to really catch some movies that I might not otherwise have seen, but I end up really enjoying and, and because of the Oscars. So thank each of you for um, for doing this. No troubles, Rafe. Uh, only days work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like ridiculously impressive how quickly Thomas had checked off so many before I even came to the spreadsheet. His name was like across <laughs> most of the movies. <laughs> Well, and I, I told Mel, uh, you know, when we when we talked a couple weeks ago, I was like, I, my goal is never to keep up with Thomas. My goal <laughs> is to a not embarrass myself since it's my podcast, but but b to try and keep up with with you and and Mel as far as like how many movies you guys have seen. If I can keep up with that, then I feel like I've done my job. Thomas is just he's the Usain Bolt of watching Oscar <laughs> movies. He's going to be way ahead of us the whole time, and we all are just okay with it. Yeah, equal, equal achievements <laughs> completely. <laughs> all right, so. Those who have not listened to our pre-Oscar roundup before, we're going to uh, dive into some of the major categories and give our predictions, uh, talk a little bit about the movies that are nominated, uh, and first up, have a, a couple of talking points that I wanted to go over. This is a historic year for the Oscars in many ways. It is the first time we had a film nominated for Best Documentary, Best Animated, and Best International Film with Flea. It's the first time any film has been nominated in those three categories simultaneously. If Lin-Manuel Miranda wins for Best Song, uh, he becomes the 17th EGOT person who has won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. It is the first time a female director has received a second nomination. Now, Jane Campion has not won before, but this is the, her second nomination, but we've never had a female director nominated twice. Uh, it is the third time that two actresses receive nominations for playing older and younger versions of the same role, but it is the first time that one of those nominees was not Kate Winslet. 
And then we're, we're seeing, and this is a trend that started a couple years ago, and it's a trend I'm really happy to see continue. Uh, we're seeing the films that are nominated for Best International Film are receiving nominations in other categories. So Drive My Car was not only nominated for Best International Film, but also for Best Picture and Best Director. And The Worst Person in the World was not only nominated for Best International Film, but also for Best Original Screenplay. And I like that we're seeing some of that diversity added to the other categories. So before we get into our actual predictions and discussions of the movies, there have been a couple of controversies surrounding the Oscars this year. So let's start with the first one, the choice to move eight of the awards out of the telecast. The awards for film editing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, sound, and documentary animated and live action shorts will be given prior to the televised broadcast with clips of the winners shown during the evening instead of the actual drama-filled moment of announcing the nominees and the winner. Now, the hope is, from the producers, that it will trim down the broadcast to keep people's attention because the ratings have continually been declining on the Oscars, but it's also received quite a bit of pushback for some pretty big names accusing the producers of robbing people of the spotlight without whom these movies would just not get made. So what do you feel about this move? Thomas, we'll start with you. Well, I mean, it's the weird thing where, like, the Oscars, this is the 94th Oscars, and I think they've been televised ever since, like, the 40th something or rather it's been most of its runtime it's been televised and i think it's just a problem of like the producers are trying to catch up with like live television in a way that live television just isn't anymore really unless you're a sports event all lot like ratings for live sort of showings like that have been going down television for several years now and i just think at this point like shortening the show i think is such a like lose-lose situation where it's going to completely piss off, as we've seen, people who watch the Oscars. And I don't think Joe Schmo is just like, oh, it's a slightly shorter show. <laughs> of course I'll watch now. I don't, it just, it's so, such a weird thing to me that, like, they're trying to appease people with that kind of thing. And they, some of the things they've tried to do, like, oh, get Kristen Stewart's nominated, so Robert Pattinson and Taylor Lawton are going to be there. It's a Twilight reunion. Shit like that. It just feels, it's, to quote Blazing Sads, like the last act of a desperate man. It's what it really honestly feels like and it's a bummer because you know those anybody who's nominated for that award should get some kind of spotlight from like these other like especially the, the shorts one this could be the last time any of them are even nominated for any kind of award like that and it just feels so unfortunate that we have to like cut any of their times and just only have clips of the winners accepting i'm, I'm so not a fan gotcha gotcha emily yeah, I pretty much agree. Like, you're completely right about the idea of live television here in Britain. Yesterday was Comic Relief, which used to be an enormous telethon charity fundraising event. And like, no one watched it. And like, everyone slated it on Twitter. And they did make it shorter. And that didn't stop people from still not tuning in. So you're right. Like, it's just either completely indulge in the Oscars and put it on some obscure channel or online so people that care can watch the whole like nine hour event and everyone can get their five minutes of like hooray i did a thing or like just stop doing the oscars i think it's dumb i think it's stupid okay mel um i'm definitely with emily uh and thomas too because we all agree uh but yeah either go all in or get out I think it draws a really kind of awful line when you say, okay, these awards are important. Right. But these awards are not. It takes just as much skill across the different categories to achieve in those categories. Uh, anything done well isn't easy. Uh, and like, yeah, they absolutely do deserve the attention and the accolades. I mean, also the, the Academy Awards is a great place for people who don't yet really know what they want to do. Like they know they want to work in the film industry in some regard. Uh, and it's great to see 
someone who wins for, you know, like best editing. It's great to see that person go up on stage uh, and have a speech, a speech they've probably wanted to right. give for years, uh, if, if not most of their life. Yeah, don't don't take that away from people. Uh, it's not just about the actors, the directors, and and the films. Uh, it's there's so much there. Don't don't cut it. I'm begging. Yeah, there's you, so much behind it. the scenes. But whatever you do, make it better than last year. Well, they wanted to cut it a couple of years ago. The one point I'm surprised none of you brought up is the recent announcement that there will be a uh, performance at the Oscars of We Don't Talk About Bruno, which isn't nominated. So they're making time to perform a song that isn't actually a nomination because it's popular. And the way they're making that time is by cutting these awards, you know, to an hour before the broadcast and then just showing highlights. And I, I just, I find that incredibly rude and disrespectful to the individuals involved, as well as pandering to the audience, to what they think the audience wants. I like that song. We don't talk about Bruno, certainly. Um, But it reminds me very much of whenever, uh, back in the era of CDs, you would buy a soundtrack to a movie and it would would be missing music from the actual (laughs) film. It would have tracks that were not in the film. And don't you ever do that. Don't you ever give me something that wasn't in the movie in lieu of something that was. And in this case, I mean, again, and it's, it's, there's been a lot of criticism about that movie, that song not being nominated. It just simply wasn't submitted. But I, I just, I find it a little offensive that that, they have time for that. But let's not show makeup winning an award. Yeah. I can't wait for the Oscar salute to memes. Oh, right, it's right. the Oscar, the beautiful like Oscar montage of memes that will happen one of these days. Well, speaking of pandering to the crowd, the second of the controversies that uh, is around this year's telecast is the choice to include the announcement of a quote fan favorite award. So, movie lovers were given the opportunity between February fourteenth and March third to vote on Twitter for their favorite movie of twenty twenty one. The winner of this fan favorite poll will be announced during the telecast, although they don't win an actual physical award. So, again, we're taking time away from people who are getting a. Physical award to recognize a fan favorite movie. Now, I would say reactions to this attempt to integrate a popular vote and social media into this year's Oscar season has been mixed, but the truth is I haven't heard a whole lot of positivity about it. So what do you guys think about this? Uh, Emily, we'll start with you. Yeah, I always think of Lindsay Ellis's brilliant little mini canon on the Oscars where she talks about how the most popular movie used to also be the most Oscar-y movie and then gradually there was a big gap between that and now the most popular movies don't get Oscars and the Oscars are used to push the less popular movies. Is that now the point of the Oscars? If the answer is yes, why are we doing a most popular movie? Is it to try and garner engagement? If we're struggling with engagement, is this the way to do it? It just feels really tacked on. Right. And I didn't, as a Brit, I didn't have access to this website, so I couldn't look into it much. I've only seen like here and now on Twitter, the fights between Tick, Tick, Boom and Cinderella, by which I mean the Cinderella that was on Amazon that starred Idina Menzel, which I didn't watch, but I can tell you that I hated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that fair? No. Oh, well. You're leaving out uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead was also getting a lot of attention oh. in this fan favorite poll, so... Yeah, and like I imagine Spider-Man No Way Home is also on there, which, you know, are doing really well at the box office and and Tick, Tick, Boom is up for quite a lot of awards. So like, who is is this bot? Like, who is voting for this? What are they even voting for if there's not a prize? What is the point in it? Is it, are they going to save it to the very end of the night just to get people to tune in in order to wait to see if Cinderella 
2021 gets picked as their most favorite movie do they really think in this day and age where things can be like one person needs to tune in and then it can be uploaded onto tiktok in two seconds and then everyone just needs to come onto tiktok to see which one won or go to twitter they're not even going to watch the oscars so even as a ploy to get people to watch the oscars they don't get how people work in this day and age like we just live in a society now that doesn't work as thomas mentioned earlier for this kind of event so this kind of thing isn't gonna i just think it's stupid (laughs) that's no that's a great point i had not heard that brought up the fact that this doesn't translate necessarily into increased viewership so that that's a good point mel what are your thoughts we don't need this because this is what the mtv movie awards was for (laughs) uh i mean and i say was because i have no idea if it's still on do they still do that yeah, my problem with it is if you're going to do this, fine, but go all in if you're going to do it. Have a best fight scene category. Have a best villain category. Have a best car chase category. Have a best kiss. Have a, I mean, if you're going to be petulant about it, then just just go all in. Uh, double down. But no, no. Otherwise, it's it's silly. Uh, we're we're trying to grab this audience that that was never really there. I mean, and good luck with that. Uh, but I just, I, I think trial and error has proven that it doesn't work. So the MTV Movie Awards are still around, by the way. Yeah, I, I agree with what's been said so far. Um, I don't see the point in this. It is attempting to acknowledge that the Oscars, the the art of the movies that the Oscars celebrates does not always go hand in hand with what is popular at the box office. And I think especially with the last two years, uh, movie theaters having to, to rethink how they do things, we've really seen an increase in the blockbuster movie is what's going to make the money. It's what's going to be popular. But that doesn't mean there's not still room for these artistic movies. And I think it's kind of, again, it's it's what we talked about with the first category is if this is the purpose of the Oscars, if the Oscars are to recognize excellence in the artistry of filmmaking, then don't pander to popularity. You know, it's it's okay for movies to be popular that aren't necessarily the highest achievement artistically, and it's okay to have movies that are high art that aren't popular, and it that that's fine. We don't need to split the difference between them, and I just, I find it insulting that this is even a thing this year. So, Thomas, finish this off here, because you're the one who brought it to my attention. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I messaged Rafe immediately, just like, we have to cover this sad, depressing thing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what everyone said, and it's so weird, especially when, like, there was a graph that came out about, like, the most popular titles and it was some that have been mentioned like spider-man no way home but then like two the two that baffled me were one was the power of the dog mm-hmm. the most nominated movie already right. in these awards and then the other weird one was that johnny depp movie that no one saw right minamata right which i the only reason that's there is because you have like johnny depp stands who are just like no we have to get him back in some prominence it's like this is incredibly upsetting on so many levels because it just shows that like when you do something like this on a twitter poll you're going to end up getting this these like varied responses that aren't varied because like oh there was just this huge wealth of different popular movies this year as much as just like people want to stand something and bring that to the attention at the oscars that either is already getting a lot of attention or no one gives a shit about okay what was the johnny depp movie it's something called minamata (laughs) 
It's some Ow. random movie that fucking came out into no reception whatsoever. The first time I heard about it was this fucking stupid poll. That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> it's like black and white, I think. It's some like, like I don't know. He's like a photographer in Japan or something. It, it does not look that interesting, much like any Johnny Depp movie of recent. It just it it's just this weird thing where it's like we're only doing this because we have this particular person to go behind. And it's also a thing of like people have this nostalgic memory of like oh when like Titanic was nominated for a bunch of Oscars or Return to the King and like. The last time I think one of those like huge successful movies was like nominated for several awards was like Avatar at this mm-hmm. point. That's the last time I can think of. And that was and a just push like... of popularity again. Sorry. Right. And also James Cameron, just like he, he came out of his hole and made a movie. We have to celebrate him. <laughs> he came out from the sea. Let's be honest. You know, he was underwater. <laughs> he was well, in that, his submarine. True. Yes. In his submarine. And he came back out to make a movie and then went back down to make avatars two through 55. So yeah, it just, it's, it's this weird thing where we just have this memory of like, Oh, this big movie that I saw that everyone saw has this huge Oscar push. And it's just like, I agree with what Rafe said. Like it doesn't need to be in the same categories as big artistic films. Like it can be, but isn't necessarily it has to be. And I quite frankly wouldn't have said like, a Spider-Man No Way Home deserved as many nominations beyond, like, the visual effects when it got. And even that I find dubious, quite frankly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, proving that we are hypocrites for judging the Oscar presentation for doing the exact same thing that we're going to do, uh, rather than go through every single category like we have in the past, we're going to focus on the primary categories. So the categories more people will be aware of. We're talking about acting, we're talking about uh, writing, uh, directing, that sort of thing. But I wanted to give a chance for each of you to talk about any of the more technical categories that we aren't spending time on. This includes music, visual effects, costume, sound, etc. So do you have any comments or predictions on topics that we aren't going to be talking about throughout the rest of the show that you want to talk about? Mel, we'll start with you. Um, well, a couple of things, actually. As far as score goes, I think it's likely Dune will take that, even though I don't want Dune to take that. Uh, it's not that the score is bad. I just think that it, like the movie itself, it borrows a lot from kind of like Arab culture, yet doesn't really depict in the casting, you know, uh, any anything kind of from the, the that area. But I think Power of the Dog is probably going to take a, a score for Johnny Greenwood. Um, I think he had two scores this year. That guy's busy. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, that's that was that was a really good one. I think I think it's got a really eclectic score. But I, I think that may go to him. Um, the other thing I wanted to to talk about, which is not really a technical award, uh, but we're not covering these. I had the good fortune of being able to see all of the short films. Oh, nice! Uh, the live action and the animated. The theater, one of the theaters here, just plays them. Uh, like as their own showing mm-hmm. it's it was it was wonderful the animated selections this year are are very strange um there there's an ardman feature called robin robin which is of, of course adorable uh and it's perfect in every way and that will most likely win but it runs the gamut uh there are there were some really kind of esoteric selections uh this year um and i highly recommend checking them out the live action short films this was a fantastic year uh, for them. They all kind of share a common thread of just human injustice, both on a micro and macro level. But do do see any of those if you can. Highly recommend all of them. I wish I wish honestly wish we had time to talk about those, uh, but we don't. <laughs> so that's all I got. 
Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump in with Song, uh, which we don't normally talk about, because we already referenced it. Uh, because it's an interesting category in that if Lin-Manuel Miranda wins for the song from Encanto, which is not, we don't talk about Bruno, but is Dos Oroguitas, uh, if he wins for that, he becomes the 17th EGOT winner of, of all time. And that's that's a phenomenal accomplishment. I don't think that's the best song from Encanto. I don't think we don't th- talk about Bruno's the best song. I would like to have seen them nominate Surface Pressure. I think that captures the theme of the movie really well. If Van Morrison wins, he will be the oldest person to win an Oscar for his song Down to Joy for Belfast. And I just want to push this out there because I've heard so many people not realize that man wrote like 10 new songs for Belfast. None of the songs that are used in Belfast are from that era. They are new creations by Van Morrison that he wrote this year for that movie. And, and that to me, the fact that he captures that sound so exquisitely and makes it feel like that era, even though it's not, uh, is a pretty big accomplishment. Oh, and, and No Time to Die is an interesting nominee because the song actually came out two years ago in the push-up to what was the original release date for No Time to Die, and then the movie didn't come out. So, like, people are familiar with that song. The other songs, like I, I, I mentioned on last year's episode, I'm not a fan of the shoehorned in end credit song. Like, I want the song to capture the spirit of the movie, but also because it was in the movie, not an end credits thing, which I kind of, like, I know uh, Be Alive from King Richard is certainly falls into that category as much as it might be nice to see Beyonce walk away with an Oscar as well. So my prediction uh, is Encanto is going to take it, um, mostly going on the success of its other songs. I don't think that song is the best representation of the film, but it's the one they chose to nominate. Uh, Thomas, your picks, predictions, and such for topics we're not talking about. Um, I mean, I would say in terms of like what will win i think dune is going to sweep a lot of these technical categories agree which i would totally respect like costume you know uh cinematography visual effects i think it deserves a lot of those technical ones but i will say just a few that i wanted to shout out in terms of that like i think tick tick boom is very underrated for its editing i think particularly during like the couple song is like one of the best edited sequences i've seen this whole year agreed stunning example of that um it's the one nominee that this uh this movie got but uh, house of gucci i think deserves the makeup one because of how they just transformed freaking Leto into Joe Spinell, the old character actor. <laughs> That's literally what he looks like. And it's, it is a stellar transformation, um, uh, even if I wasn't a huge fan of that movie. Score, I think, is going to go to Dune, but I do agree about the Johnny Greenwood deserve it. He also did Licorice Pizza. That was the other score he did. Uh, there we go. Um, and honestly, in terms of, but the big one I would love to see win for production design is Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, I love the look of that entire movie. Like every set, every like individual shot in that movie just has so much detail in the set design. Like I would hope it would go to that, but like I said, I think it's going to go to the Sandworms. Sandworms going <laughs> to gobble up that Oscar for most of the technical Oscars. All right, Emily, that brings us to you. Um, I think Cruella will take costume because they are brilliant and evocative of 70s London and highly original and very nice, but I would love it to go to uh, this year's Promising Young Woman for me, which is Cyrano. I'm not going to stop talking about Cyrano, and it's not even (laughs) in any of the categories, so I hope you're ready for that. Um, Cyrano's costumes are historically accurate and gorgeous and evocative, and it's the only thing... it, It was up for some more BAFTAs, but this is the only Oscar it's up for, and I would love... Love to see Cyrano take home costume, but I don't think it will. I think it will go to Disney. I wondered what this year's uh, Emily <laughs> Stan was going Emily's to be. Fixation. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw Cyrano uh, on the Saturday, and then I saw Cyrano again on the Sunday, and then I listened to the entire soundtrack, and then I went to see it again. 
I did not see Dune, but I saw Cyrano like a four times. <laughs> you, you made the right move. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the categories we are actually talking about. So uh, we will begin with the writing nominations. Uh, the nominees for writing adapted screenplay are Coda, Drive My Car, Dune, The Lost Daughter, and The Power of the Dog. These were good movies this year, almost across the board. Like, there's one or two that I feel like were kind of the pretentious Oscar pick that I would not normally have watched, and I kind of wish I hadn't wasted two hours on. But for the most part, these were really solid movies, and of course, that begins with the script. And my pick is going to be Drive My Car. It's based on a short story. They extended into an almost three-hour-long movie. And I think the development of the story, the progress of the story, uh, the characters, the world that this movie takes place in, it, it just it, it owes it all to the script, and it's a, a fantastic thing. So that's that's my pick for adapted screenplay. Thomas. Um, I mean, I would agree. I at least liked all these nominees, some more than others. Um, I would say I think it's probably going to go to Power of the Dog. I think that's the likely winner. I would honestly say of these adapted screenplays, it is my favorite because that movie does such a fascinating job of like really like engaging you without being super showy about it. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the way that it like unveils a lot about Cumberbatch's character and Kristen Dunst's character and even like Jesse Plemons, how it just really slowly unravels in a way where it's like not a lot's happening, but I'm very intrigued. And then by the time you get to the ending reveal of that movie, I thought it's just like, oh, this is like, it's all been leading up to this perfectly. I would say that's my overall favorite, but no real slight against it to any of these other ones. Cool. Okay. Uh, Emily. Um, I agree. I think The Power of the Dog will deservedly take it. It's a it's a masterclass in adaptation. Uh, I would love Coda to take it, like real underdog. I would absolutely love to see Coda take it. It took the BAFTA, so I'd love to see it take the Oscar. I was going to say, I don't know that Coda is an underdog because it's there's a lot of people thinking that it's going to steal the night. So I, I don't know that it's the underdog right. necessarily. Thanks, Apple. <laughs> it like should be. Do you know what I mean? Like it should be the underdog because it's like, it's a nice movie, it, but it's it not is. like breaking any boundaries or anything. So it's it's weird to me that it's here so much. And I'm really happy about that. And I think that is majorly due to Apple, like pushing it for Apple's gain more than anything. Right, right. Of course. All right, Mel. Not to be cynical. <laughs> Um, I'd like to first say that I'm pissy that I didn't get to see Coda once again. Aww. Thank you, Apple. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so unfortunately, I can't speak to how well that was adapted. Uh, Emily, I'm just gonna have to take your word for it. Uh, my money, I'm with you, Rafe. My money is on Drive My Car for for a, a source material that was what 40 pages long, uh, yeah. and it's supplemented like like what they did with The Hobbit, but good, where they <laughs> borrowed material from uh, other short stories from the same collection uh, to to kind of expand it. That's a, that's a movie that lives like on the page first. Uh, like I would, I would love to get my hands uh, on that screenplay uh, and read that. Uh, and, I, and I think it just really, because the entire movie is about communication. It's all about the written word versus the spoken word uh, and how that fails uh, uh, or achieves uh, de- depending on, on you as the person. Uh, yeah. I, I loved it. It's, it's the only film I saw this year that I gave five stars. Wow. I don't know that I give it five stars, but I do. And, and part of this is also because you're going to see a lot of the power of the dog from me later on. So it's kind of like that same Academy mindset of like, here's the concession award. <laughs> so that brings us to original screenplay. Uh, the nominees for this are Belfast, Don't Look Up, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, The Worst Person in the World. 
which I have to admit that's the one nominee that I didn't get to see. Uh, Thomas, we're going to start with you, and I'm going to I'm going to start a timer because you only get two minutes to talk about how much you don't like Don't Look Up. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I, I'll flatly say that just like I I really loathe it, and I think it's like easily the worst of the recent Adam McKay like satire movies. But that's not really what I'm spending most of my time on. I think in terms of what will actually win, I think it's kind of been a tie between like Belfast and Licorice Pizza based on some of the Oscar predictions I've seen. I think either one has a chance, especially like Paul Thomas Anderson hasn't won one of these Oscars despite being nominated for so many. And I think Brenna might manage to like get Belfast like that one sort of like concession prize for how many other awards it's nominated for. Uh, But in terms of what I think is like the best, like the best movie, quite frankly, nominated for any of these major awards is Worst Person in the World. I loved it so much. And I think it probably doesn't help that like I watched it within days of turning 30. (laughs) <laughs> and it's a movie inherently about turning 30 and it's just like oh it's like really sinking in but I think that's such a beautiful movie about just not just turning 30 but the aging in general there are so many beautiful like monologues that just hit the heart so profoundly it just hits so hard and I think it's it's definitely I think my favorite of these and I would have loved to have gotten more nominations than it did uh, but still yeah if, if nothing else just please see that movie out there if you're a bit oh it's a Norwegian movie it's one of the most universal like beautiful movies I've seen in quite a while see I'm jealous because all I had when I was turning 30 was free enterprise to relate to and while I did relate to it I don't think it's quite as good a movie <laughs> <laughs> there is no William Shatner rapping so unfortunately no, it's, it's one issue no tears for season i cannot believe i just made a free enterprise reference and all three of you got it like i was totally expecting that to sink uh emily best uh, original screenplay so i really annoyingly didn't get to see licorice pizza or the worst person in the world they just were completely unavailable to me over here and i know that i will be obsessed with the worst person in the world like i i know you know when you just know that a movie you will. is like you like yeah this that would have been my promising young woman and so i really hope it win, wins original screenplay even though i haven't even seen it because i know that it will be good just from the poster and the concept i'm like mm, yes don't look up it's why is it on this list <laughs> why is it on this list it's so long it's such a long movie they could have wrapped it up in an hour and a half and everyone could have just had an all right time and then immediately forgot about it but it's here at the oscars and it's like two hours and 17 minutes long like the only consolation is that Kate blanchett looks banging in it like that is <laughs> i didn't recognize her at first right she looks so good and that's not to say that Kate Blanchett doesn't always look amazing obviously she does but she's really stepped into herself this in Nightmare Alley she's just having a really good year for like looks yeah so I hope the worst person in the world takes it um I like Belfast from um, reading letterboxd reviews uh it felt like this was this year's hillbilly elegy which I also liked last year (laughs) (laughs) just like the sort of bad takes on a place movie so I wouldn't mind if they took it but yeah, most person in the world. Okay, Mel, your turn. Well, as far as Belfast is concerned, um, all I really have to say about that is, uh, I think by and large, all movies should feature no less than five songs by Van Morrison. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Don't Look Up is, is such a ridiculous choice to be here. Um, and I'm just going to leave that at that. Uh, uh, my money is on worst person in the world. It absolutely is. And Emily, you're right. If, if you had gotten to see it, this would be your promising young woman of this year. <laughs> I adored it. It's just so good. And it evokes uh, like like before 
before sunrise, before sunset uh, yes. vibes uh, uh, to me, which, which sure, you're not going to lose uh, going down that road. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I can't think of enough good things to say about it. Uh, that's, that is my choice. Definitely over King Richard, uh, <laughs> which I'm not going to get. I'll get into King Richard later. I was like, I have some beef with that movie, uh, but yeah, worst person in the world without a doubt. And it's weird, Emily, that you didn't see it because it, it's from like Norway. It's so much closer to you than it is to us. <laughs> you'd think, you'd you'd hope, you'd think, but unfortunately, geography doesn't help us out here. Like, no. just, like licorice pizza, it was like in cinemas for a week and then it was gone. And if you didn't see it then, that's it. It's yeah, out. It doesn't help. Neon is so terrible about releasing their great movies because it was the same thing with like uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. If I had seen mm. that before, like all of the like I'd seen all the Oscar things and done my top ten list, that would have been number one. It's the same thing with, like, Worst Person in the World. Just, like, don't covet these great movies, Neon. Yeah, they just hide them away. But correct me if I'm wrong, didn't we have this same issue last year with something that was, like, it was, like, a British release and Emily wasn't able the to father. see it? The Father. The Father, yeah. I still okay. haven't seen The Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so annoying. <laughs> so I- I'm going to be the-, the outcast here. I liked Don't Look Up. I thought it was cleverly <laughs> done and I really had a fun time. Now, maybe it's because I had already listened to Thomas uh, do a tirade about it. And so my expectations were really low going into it, but I enjoyed Don't Look Up. And I think, you know, I, I liked Licorice Pizza as a movie, but it felt like Paul Thomas Anderson doing a Wes Anderson movie. Like the script was like made for Wes Anderson and they gave it to the wrong guy. Um, I, I feel like it's a little disjointed in places and like the story jumps forward with no reason or momentum and kind of lost me in a couple of places. I, I like it as a movie. I don't think I would like it as a script. And I, I didn't see Worst Person in the World, so I'm going with Belfast because I I really enjoyed that script. I felt like it had a lot of emotional core to it. Uh, it, it surprised me because I I really about twenty minutes into that movie thought it was going to be like uh, here's another pretentious Oscar Beatty type movie, but no, I really liked it by the end, and I think it is one of the better scripts of the year. So and the Van Morrison songs, top notch. <laughs> I can't I argue against that. His anti-COVID songs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. His anti-mask freedom songs. <laughs> he's he's got to have something, man. <laughs> All right. That brings us to Best Animated Feature Film. And the nominees for this, Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells versus the Machines, and Rhea and the Last Dragon. Uh, Emily, it always seems appropriate to start this with you as the person who does kids' movies as a, a prominent focus on your podcast. So uh, what do you yay. think is going to win Best Animated Feature Film this year? Yeah, and I did actually watch all of these, so yay for me. Um, I think what will take it is Encanto, because the Disney machine keeps on trucking and you can't stop it. Not to say that Encanto is bad, because Thing doesn't have to be bad to not deserve to win, but Mitchell's versus the machines is right there mm-hmm. and I will kick up a fuss with like one tweet if it doesn't win I'll be so annoyed that I will tweet one tweet because <laughs> come on like it has this gorgeous original animation it has um queer characters it has this beautiful arc of this storyline of a father-daughter relationship which you rarely see it's a brilliant apocalyptic movie it's genuinely funny it's so well done. It's well paced. It's a literal treat for all of the family. And that's not to say that the others aren't. They're all good in their own. I mean, I wouldn't say Flea is a treat for all the family, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but like, come on, Encanto has enough. It had. We don't talk about Bruno at number one for seven weeks. Like, it doesn't need the Oscar as well. Like, it's fine. Give it to the Mitchells versus the Machines. 
But okay. it will go to Encanto and I'll be mad about it. <laughs> uh, all right, Mel. So it's not going to be Raya and the Last Dragon. It took me like three days to watch that whole thing. I'm sorry. I I just, it's so derivative, uh, I think is my biggest problem with it. I'm so sorry. This is exactly what got Lindsay Ellis driven from social media. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I and time. I feel the same way she does. It's just it, it's too derivative uh, for me. Mitchell's versus the machines. I I really enjoyed, uh, especially since it looked more out of the box. It had kind of more in common visually uh, to something like a spider uh, Spider Verse uh, than to the kind of the the standard look of the Disney slash Pixar production model. Uh, and it, it just happened to be a really a, a really fun story. Luca, I, I I thought Luca was really charming. It didn't. It didn't quite fire on all cylinders for me, but I. I did think it was. It was. It was very cute. Flea. We're not supposed to go through all five, but this is the only time I'm going to do it. I promise. Uh, <laughs> it's okay because I'm going to do it too. So. Okay. Oh, oh, very good. Because like animation is kind of my wheelhouse. Uh, right. Um, right. Flea. I. I thought Flea was very good, but I. I'm here's here comes my hot take. I'm. I'm a, an animation snob, and I don't think the animation style was really in service of the story. I kept being distracted by by the style of the animation when I wanted to be immersed uh, and it just kind of the nature of it. I don't want to say the quality of it because if that was very much what they were going for, I can't fault them for that. I have to reach a point where I'm no longer judging a movie because of the way I wanted it to be, but because of the way they wanted it to be. <laughs> like that was the movie they wanted to make. So I can't be mad at them about that. Uh, but I did not love the animation style of Flea. I, I thought if it had been something uh, more along the lines of, of like Jinro or or Wings of Oniame, something that's really big budget, but grounded, I would have been more immersed uh, by the world. Uh, my, my money is on Encanto. Uh, I think Encanto's absolutely going to do it. It's feels, it's kind of like the safe choice, which kind of sucks a little bit, but it is, it is very enjoyable. It's nice to see different kinds of people out there. It's nice to see different skin tones on, <laughs> on yeah. a group of people. I remember that was my my big complaint about Coco is that there's according to Pixar there's only one skin tone in Mexico. <laughs> but yeah, Encanto was my vote. Uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines. It's been a while since I saw it because I saw it when it first came out. I will say out of the five nominees here, it is the one that I watched with my son, and we had a blast watching it. So I, I, if it wins, I I mean. Give Lord Miller all the Oscars. I'm okay with that, but it's not my pick. Luca, I just finally watched last night and I was underwhelmed by. I felt like it's like lower grade tier Disney. Like it's it's a good movie. It's fun, but it's not going to be, it's it's one that's going to be forgotten. You know, it's going to be one that Thomas uh, picks for his podcast in a decade and everybody's going to go, oh, right, that was a thing. Um <laughs> I'd love to see Flea win this. I, I, I don't agree 100% with you, Mel, and I'm actually going to disagree with you even stronger here in a minute, but I, I, like, I thought the animation was a really effective way of communicating the story and, and the ephemeral nature of that animation as far as like the memories that he wants to suppress and, and the memories that are very vivid to him, uh, the use of color. Uh, I, I found that, like, I, I really liked Flea, and I would love to see it take the Oscar. I don't think it's going to. I think Encanto is going to take it. I can't fault that, but I don't think it was the best of the Disney offerings this year. I think Raya and the Last Dragon was a much better story, much better told. Maybe I'm not familiar with all of the things that it's derivative from, and that's my fault. But as far as these five movies, uh, my favorite of them was Raya. Wow. Yeah, hot take. <laughs> 
I'm just sorry that Turning Red didn't come out last year because that's my current pick for best animated film. And and when we have you on next year, you can you can promote that. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say the three Disney offerings are my least, like, would be the, the lesser tier ones to me, even though I liked all of them decently. I mean, apologies to my Italian and sea person ancestry for Luca. But um, I... Uh, <laughs> I'll talk about that side of my family. It's a dark story. But uh, with the so other one, Bruno. too. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, but, but with the... With the other two, um, I would definitely say I think Mitchell's versus the Machines is more of like the crowd favorite, and I wouldn't mind it winning at all. I do really love the a lot of the stuff, just how quickly paced the animation is in, in general. It just feels it's the one really cartoony movie on this actual list, honestly, and I think in a way that really works for it. But I would say my favorite is Flea. I do agree that I think I, I love the way that the animation style is used to keep the anonymity of the main person, but also just the way that it does switch those styles, I think is such a beautiful way of not just the memory thing that you're talking about, but even just the disassociation yeah. when it gets to be like less and less detailed, I thought it was such a beautiful way to represent his story. And I was so like really immersed in it with any of these, those different animation styles. But I do agree. I think Encanto is likely going to get it because just like, that's what my kids saw. Oscar voter in person, <laughs> basically. All right. That brings us to the acting categories. Emily, I, I want you to recognize that I switched them around because last year we started with actor and then went to actresses. And this year I switched it around just to, to make sure we're mixing things up. So Noted. Thank uh, you. So we are starting with actress in a supporting role. Uh, our nominees are Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter. Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog, and Ingenue Ellis for King Richard. Mel, you're kicking us off. I really enjoyed Jesse Buckley uh, in The Lost Daughter because that that's a rough role to to have to play, man. Uh, like a mother who hates her kids, and I and I applaud her for it. But I do think it's it's going to be Ariana DeBose uh, for West Side Story. America, okay, I am not a fan. Again, hot take. I, I'm not big on musicals, but West Side Story <laughs> is my favorite musical, and America is my favorite jam. And Ariana DeBose goes so hard; she fucking kills it. And uh, and it's gonna be her. Angelou Ellis was good in King Richard too, but it's it's gonna be Ariana DeBose. Yeah, I, I the Lost Daughter was was my. God, this is pretentious Oscar bait movie this year. I did not enjoy the movie. I enjoyed the performances. I think Jesse Buckley in particular was brilliant in that role. I just didn't like the story. And maybe Emily can yell at me here because it's it's a woman's story and I'm a guy. Yeah. So maybe it's that's <laughs> why <you>. I... <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I think Judy Dench in Belfast steals just a few moments and gets the win here from me. This one, I, I really had a hard time picking which was the best of these. Because even not liking The Lost Daughter, I, I thought Buckley's performance was brilliant. And, you know, Anjanou Ellis in King Richard, like, she has some really powerhouse scenes. So, like, any of these five win, we as the audience win because we got to watch these performances. But I think Judy Dench takes it for Belfast. Um, that's interesting because I thought of these, Dench was easily the bottom of them, quite frankly, I, I I think she's she's just you know it's Judy Dench phoning it in, which is still better than most actors at their tight. So I, I think she doesn't like phoning it so, in. Really, 
I, I found, so especially compared to another person nominated for Belfast, we'll put a pin in it. Okay. But, um, I would say that, uh, like, all these, the one who hasn't been mentioned that much, I do love Dunstan, Power of the Dog. Yeah. I think it's a really stellar performance, especially of, like, the, the sort of alcoholism really hitting her, how that really, like, develops over the course of that movie. I think it feels, like, believable and not showy in a way that, like, most other, like, Oscar clips would be of someone who's doing drunk performing. I think it's one of the better, like, more sad depictions of that I've seen. But Buckley, I want to just shout out because I think she does a great job of playing not necessarily like an incredibly abusive parent, but just an unattentive one, which is so hard to get accurately. And I think she does a phenomenal job with that. But the one who I think is going to get in my absolute favorite is Ariana DeBose. I completely agree with what's been said here. I think that whole, like, that entire cast and crew of West Side Story does such a great job of making a great movie despite the lead actor in it. Who I just joked is basically like one of those it man like wooden boards, yes, like things where everyone's practicing on him, him and just doing great phenomenal work. They could have brought in a cardboard cutout and it would have been the same performance. It would have been a better performance. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I think everyone does such a phenomenal job, and I think Debose in particular is like a great standout to spotlight and i think it's also interesting symmetry given rita moreno of course won her oscar for that like yes. 50 years ago so I'm, I'm down and i wish rita moreno had gotten nominated for this because i think that them changing that one song to her getting to perform it gave her such a brilliant moment that i would have liked to have seen that recognized that must have felt like coming home for her yeah all right emily sorry it's a uh, your turn to, to give your your opinion on this yes i agree with both of you in the sense that judy dench is both phoning in doing a, a Judy Dench, like Judy Dench in Belfast is Judy Dench in Chocolat is Judy Dench in like comic relief last night. Like it's Judy Dench doing Judy Dench, except for that one scene on the bus where she has a little monologue about going to the Shangri-La yeah. and oh my God, I sat in the cinema and this happened so often with Belfast and I was just sort of watching it and I was like, fine. And I had my cinema beer and like, it was fine. And then Judy Dench spoke for like two minutes uninterrupted. And then I was just like, oh God. I was like, Judy Dench is a good actor. Who knew? Oh God. Oh God, I'm distraught. And then it cuts to them watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I was just like, this movie is amazing. Like it was really lovely. And she really captured something for me in that briefest moment. The rest of the movie, she's like, like fine. She's like there. But in that little monologue, it was really lovely. And that's probably why she's here. And that'll be the little clip that they show where she gets all teary-eyed on the bus. And everyone will go, oh, yes, Judy. Yes, Judy. But it's like, it's Judy. We know she's a good actor. Like, let someone else have a go, Judy. Sit down. Kirsten Dunst does some brilliant um, drunk acting. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, her performance was so subtle that I like missed it the first time I watched that movie. And I was just like, geez, calm down. Like, I know it's sad that your son's being bullied and that you're being bullied, but like, it's not that sad. And then I like watched the movie again and I was like, oh no, I get it. I'm just an idiot. Um, <laughs> so West Side Story, here's my little tangent. I'm really sorry. I'm, just, I'm gonna try and keep it short, but like, and basically this is ramping up to me saying, yes, Ariana should take home the Oscar 100%. But are you are you giving a too long didn't read at the beginning of your <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Julia, I think she's wonderful. However, West Side Story, the very the first movie was basically shot on a soundstage and they would bring these big numbers like America to a soundstage and they would set the camera down and then the actors would just do a performance and it would be like you were watching live theater and that was amazing and the actors got to make all of these little choices and have these flourishes in their voices that were just incredible and so good and so enjoyable now obviously 
Ariana can't do that because Rita's already done it. So she can't copy the same thing. Right. But Rita did it better in a couple of moments. Plus Spielberg completely screws Ariana over by moving the camera around. Why are you doing that? Like it's so good in the rest of the movie, but these two songs, G Officer Krupke and America, you need the soundstage. I need to feel like I'm at the theater by cutting it up and walking us through the streets and then through a market stall and then into a boxing ring and then outside of the gym again. It's like, oh, 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 oh. And it, it, in me, it, stops the energy every time and this song is all about energy and it ramps up to the end bit which is great and we get that energy for the big finale but I really think he did act as dirty by putting camera work into these big numbers so everyone talks about America being wonderful but you you go watch the original and there is so much wrong with the original West Side Story but there are moments in that because you just get to watch a big performance almost stationary almost it has this energy and you're swept up in it and it's such a more chaotic performance whereas it's a lot more controlled in the new one everything else about the new West Side Story works better than the original but America and Geoffrey Kupke suck because they don't suck but they are dampened because of the choices that Spielberg made that then let their actors like Ariana down. So let's be honest, the clip that they'll show for Ariana when she goes and gets her Oscar, it will be the bit where she's like raped because that's the Oscar performance. But yeah, I just needed to get that off my chest. I, I agree with you on on that for Officer Krupke. That was actually I said something very similar when I came out of the, the screening of, of that, because that's one of my favorite numbers from the original. And I appreciate what they were trying to do with the performance of it in the new version. But I totally agree that the camera yeah, could have stayed and they could have used controlled. the actors more. Yeah, it was too choreographed. The first one felt like they all just had a shot and then just did the thing. And it was just chaotic and wild and energetic. And we were losing that in this new version. But saying that everything else is better, except like, was there no one else available in Hollywood to play Tony? Like, <laughs> everyone was busy. What? Well, Robert Pattinson was making the Batman at the time. So <laughs> imagine if he'd have been a West Side Story. How good would that have been? <laughs> All right, let's move but one of the things I love is about doing this with you guys is just the, the diversity of opinions that we're bringing to this. We have yet to have a category where we're all like, yep, this is the winner. And, and like, even <laughs> the animated film, we're all like, yeah, Encanto's the winner, but maybe it shouldn't be. And here's three different movies that we're saying should have been instead. I mean, that's like, I just, I think that's great. All right. Actor in a supporting role. The nominees are Karen Hines in Belfast, Troy Kotzer in Coda, Jesse Plemons in The Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons in in Being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith-McPhee in The Power of the Dog. Kind of like the last one, this is a, a, it's such a stocked list of nominees. You know, I didn't care for Being the Ricardos as a whole, but I thought J.K. Simmons was like the standout of the performances that were recognized. He can do better. We've seen him do better in other films, but he, it gave him a couple of moments to shine. Really, I, I, I think Troy Kotzer is going to win this for Coda. It's funny because I don't think he's the best performance in Coda. I, I think Marley Matlin gets some really emotional moments that didn't get recognized because she didn't get a nomination. But that moment where he wants his daughter to sing for him, and of course, you know, he can't hear it, but the emotion that he brings to that moment is, and the humor that he brings to other scenes are, are just, it's it's a powerful performance and i i think uh out of all of these he's the one that stands out to me 
Um, well, I'm just glad that JK, you know, got his obligatory, like, you've arrived, here's the nomination <laughs> for one you didn't deserve. Like, he deserves that at this point, for sure. Um, I do agree that I think Troy is going to win. I think Coda is a movie that's very much elevated by the performances of that main family, because, like, on the page, I didn't really talk about this with adapted screenplay, it's, like, a very good Disney Channel original movie. <laughs> In terms of the actual script of it, quite frankly. I think it's very sweet. I did really like the main performances from the family. And I think Troy Kotzer especially, I think, is the standout. I agree, especially that moment you're talking about with, like, trying to relate to his daughter about this whole singing thing. I, I thought he did a great job with that. Um, my personal favorite is Cody Smith-McPhee. Um, I think he's really stellar in that movie, especially with, once again, another kind of, like, unraveling performance. Yeah. Where, like, him and Plemons, so good, but I think Cody Smith-McPhee especially does such a great job of being somebody who's, like, constantly bullied and how that, like, really subtly elevates to the point where he eventually has his sort of lash-out moment. It's not even a huge lash-out. It's just, like, a very beautifully understated performance. Um, and also give Kieran Hines world's best grandpa. <laughs> he was so great as a grandpa in that movie. He was so delightful. He was so good. Yes. Uh, all right, Emily. Yeah, I'd love Troy Kotzer to take this. I really, really hope he does. I think Cody Smith McPhee is 100% nominated for the unraveling performance. You're right. I had written, I was like, you can't give someone an Oscar for like just like that final look he does. But then I was like, oh, but that look was so good though. Like <laughs> right at the end as he turns away from the window and I was like, oh my God. Like as I'm sure everybody was, so, so good. Where's Riff from West Side Story? Where's his? Yes, yes. 100%. Yes. yes. Yep. Yes. Where's Absolutely. What the hell? And, um, Sorry, I kind of liked being the Ricardos. Why is J.K. Simmons on this list? I like him. Let's say that this is for Spider-Man 2001. (laughs) 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 He's really memorable in Spider-Man 2001. I didn't really find his character that memorable in this role. He's like, you know, he was really good in Juno. Like, that's really memorable. Like, I assume he got nominated for Whiplash, but... It just really surprised me. Yeah, there you go. It just really surprised me to see him on here for that movie. I was like, really? Of all of the like movies that are out at the moment, and every like riff, where's riffs? Replaced J.K. with riff. Justice for riff, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mel. Yeah, uh, Michael Feist needs to be in here. I I would actually like to to take now i see i didn't see coda so i can't say uh how well troy kotzer did but since i didn't see coda i'd like to take troy kotzer off and replace him with michael feist uh (laughs) so that would be my choice just effortlessly engaging uh in west side story but that's not the conversation we're having Uh, i agree about jk simmons uh with with you emily i love jk simmons i love him in everything but it's kind of jk being jk uh just you know doing his jk simmons thing uh it's, I didn't really see anything new there. He's a little heavier, but that's, I mean, can we give him out awards for that? You're <laughs> <Here in> Lego? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, my, my money is, my money is on Cody Smith McPhee uh, for all the reasons that you guys have already stated. For me, Oh God, I, I love it when you're watching something and and you're like, this is good, this is good. And then you get to the end and like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> like, and it forces you to just reevaluate everything. Uh, like just, you want to go back immediately and see all those clues because they were all there. Uh, they were, it's just, it, it leads up to that conclusion perfectly. When you leave that movie, he's the thing you're thinking about. Like whenever I think about Power of the Dog, Cody... Smith McPhee is is who comes to mind. Peter is who comes to mind. Uh, And and Bronco Henry, of course. Bronco Henry definitely comes to mind. (laughs) Rob, the best supporting actor, not Bronco Henry. (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, so uh, Cody for Power of the Dog for me. And Emily would also take J.K. Simmons off and have him replaced by the saddle that Bronco Henry. All right, that brings us to our leading acting categories. We'll start with actor in a leading role. I'm really starting to regret that Mel is before me because I feel like this podcast episode is just going to be me disagreeing with everything Mel says because I I got a (laughs) feeling about this category. So love conflict. (laughs) Our nominees are Javier Bardem for Being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith for King Richard, and Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth, Thomas, you're leading us off this time. Um, yeah, Javier, I love you, man, but no, <laughs> flat, a flat out no <laughs> for me. Of the three performances, I think he's objectively the worst one that's nominated of being the Ricardos. I think it's a terrible, awful performance from a great actor. But I mean, I think otherwise, I think most of these performances are pretty solid. I think particularly like Ben to Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog really harnessing his terrible American accent for good yes. in this movie. I think because it, it works as like, oh, he's kind of phony. And you get to learn more. It's like, oh, he's even more phony than that. I think it's it works his advantage with this movie. My favorite is Andrew Garfield. I think he's so stellar in Tick, Tick, Boom. I think it just proves that like the, between this and being my favorite thing about Spider-Man No Way Home, just like, man, this kid's got it. I just want to see this kid just do as much great shit as possible. He's right. so stellar in that movie. Um, and, you know, Denzel, I love the fact that Denzel's kind of sleepiness in his modern age works for Tragedy of Macbeth because he just looks like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired and it works but then I think Will Smith's gonna win it as like a career Oscar and I think that's a bummer because I think the biggest problem with King Richard is because he's like so involved as a producer and everything it should be an ensemble movie about that family and it's just this King Richard story which I think is fascinating having like obviously him be a focal point of that story of Serena and Venus. But then just as the story goes over, it's like two and a half hour length. I just doesn't feel like it justifies him being the central focus of the story and robbing it of, like, you know, Anjanou Ellis, who I thought was good, but still didn't get nearly as much time to shine, or the young kid actresses who played, like, Venus and Serena and her, their sisters, and I thought they were great as well. And I just feel like it's the key example of, like, what Will Smith's frustrating star persona is. At this point, he's one of the few movie stars left, and I think he just uses that kind of, like, image to make movies that feel a little more like Vanity Projects for him, as opposed to actual stories that feel like they should be told the way they're told. I think he's going to get it as just like a, you know, career Oscar. And, you know, I love the dude in certain movies, but he would not be my personal pick, even though I think he will win. Okay. Emily. Yeah, my money's on Will Smith from taking it. I would love Benedict to to have it. I think he does a really good job in The Power of the Dog. My friend's mom didn't even realize it was him like half till halfway through the movie, which I think is a compliment yeah. uh, for a transformative performance. Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom is a delight. I would love if Benedict or Andrew took it, I would be so, so happy. Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom, just effortless, gorgeous performance before you even talk about how the guy like learnt piano for the role or whatever, just completely embodies Jonathan Larson and just brings a real like energy he's just so ding dong watchable um i love him so much um yeah javier badem is also on this list and denzel washington <laughs> was really really good <laughs> in the tragedy of Macbeth. where is peter dinklage on this list i don't know if any of you watched cyrano and like here's my cyrano rant 
fuck, man. That movie yeah. is incredible. It's yeah. so good. It's so beautiful. It's so moving. It's so well done. It's so well-paced. And I was so cynical because I was so ready for Joe Wright to phone it in like he did in 2006 with Austin and give us style over substance. And he doesn't. He manages to match all of the things that he's been shit at all of these years and give us Cyrano in a beautiful, the national written uh, musical splendor and Peter Dinklage's central performance as Cyrano is majestic. His facial expressions are imprinted in my mm. brain. And yeah, mm. it's because I've seen that movie seven times, but like they would be even if I'd seen it only once. He's so moving. And I think the reason he's not on here is because is because much like horror movie performances never get taken seriously, this is like a romantic drama, so that's not going to get taken seriously. Like, Mr. Darcy wouldn't be nominated. Spider-Man wouldn't be nominated. The Joker gets to be nominated. Um, and like, well, the actor did die. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to say because he died, but, like, let's be honest, that's why. Um, and and now he was it's like the only Oscar other Joker movie role. nominated. Oh, yeah. Yes, of course he was. <laughs> the only one. The only one. But like, I just really feel that Peter Dinklage has, and I don't use the term snubbed. I don't, I think it's stupid. Like I have no skin in these games, but like Peter Dinklage deserved an Oscar nom at least, at least to just get more people out to see his incredible performance. We know he's a good actor. We've seen him in several seasons of Game of Thrones do the best he can with terrible scripts and the best he can with really good scripts. And he just owned this role. And I just really felt that he really should be up here with the take away Javier, Javier, get out, put Peter in. I would love Benedict or Andrew to take it, but I think Will will. I kind of feel like you have a bias towards the British actors on this list, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> what? Me? <laughs> Who better? Mel, what you got? Uh, I'm in complete agreement with Emily. Uh, take Javier Bardem off the list, replace him with Peter Dinklage for Cyrano because he's he's fantastic. And he, you're you're absolutely right. He emotes he emotes like he's like a basset hound. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's so expressive, uh, and you feel it. You you feel you feel everything he wants you to feel uh, in that performance. And like we're, <laughs> we're just going off on a. Dinklage tangent he's not even on the list Benedict Cumberbatch I love that he was cast in that role uh, uh, because he's not on the outset he's not who you picture right. in that role Sam Elliott is who you picture in that role ironically uh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. as it unravels you're like oh that makes perfect sense uh, it's 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 inspired casting he went method uh, on it and I'm not a huge fan of method acting I mean it's it's gotten us some really cool stuff like Daniel Day-Lewis uh, certainly but like he didn't bathe for like two weeks uh, and he was just trying to do that for the entire shoot just not bathe but eventually it was too much for even him uh, right. and he it up uh, but he's I, I think he still didn't he didn't wash his clothes so he still smelled horrendous <laughs> over the production. He got nicotine poisoning like three times. Right. <laughs> just, some, just chain smoking rolled cigarette. It was too much. It was just too much. And and again, to go back to Jared Leto for a second, I think we're all just a little bit tired of the method acting. Stop terrorizing your coworkers. Uh, Jesse Plemons, Jesse Plemons hated that he kept calling him fat. Like, uh, like it wasn't in the script, but he just kept calling him fat. And Plemons was like, hey, buddy, what what's this about? <laughs> <laughs> like, this isn't, none of this is necessary. But no, as, as much as I just ranted about uh, Cumberbatch, I don't want it to be Cumberbatch. 
I don't want it to be Will Smith either, uh, because I, I agree with Thomas. Uh, everyone in that family is more interesting than Richard Williams. Uh, and I would have rather there had been more focus on them. I, I think he's good in the role. I, he's not very likable. Um, but I mean, who, you know, won't fault him for that. Uh, he, he plays an unlikable character very well. Um, hopefully later I'll get to talk about my least favorite scene in that movie. Um, Denzel Washington, man, it, it's gotta be every actor's dream to do Shakespeare just big and loud uh, and, and in your face. I love it. I love, I love watching especially contemporary actors uh, do Shakespeare, uh, especially when they know what they're saying, because it's not enough to just memorize the lines. It's not enough to just recite the lines. You have to know what is being said. Joss Whedon, damn him. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing, that version that he shot a few years ago in his house. I hate it because half, you can tell which half of the cast has no idea what they're saying and which half of the cast does. But none of that has anything to do with anything. I thought Denzel Washington was great. He's not my pick. It's Andrew Garfield. I want, I want Andrew Garfield to win because, I, again, I'm not, I'm not in the musical theater. And apparently I don't know shit about America <laughs> in the new West Side Story because Rafe and Emily are like, it's garbage. <laughs> and only the original is good. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that Andrew Garfield is the reason I was just sucked into tick tick boom um because i don't like rent yeah i said it i don't like rent <laughs> no one likes i rent. loved tick tick boom uh, <laughs> I really did. and apparently that scene in the diner uh the the sunday brunch scene is like the avengers in game for <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> which is a riot to me oh, um, yeah he's he has so so many moments uh, in Tick, Tick, Boom where I'm just like, I'm there with you, man. I'm there. I, I just 100%. I, I want it for him. This was his year, man. I, this is the year of Garfield. Uh, and, and I am here for it. He probably won't win because he's like eight years old and he's still got a huge <laughs> career ahead of him. Uh, so he's going to have many more opportunities to come back. But I want this for him. I want this for him so much. Uh, so uh, we've had... Two people nominated for musicals, and they're your picks in both of those. You might be more of a musical person than you're giving yourself credit for, Mel. That's possible. That's possible. Wow. Uh, So I think Garfield is phenomenal in Tick, Tick, Boom. I really do. I don't think he is going to get the award, uh, but I I loved that movie. It depressed the hell out of me for days, uh, Mm. but that's not related to this conversation, so we won't go into it. Denzel Washington is fabulous in The Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, This movie came out right as I finished teaching my students Macbeth, so this was the film version that we watched in my classroom. Uh, right. Where's the nomination for the witches? That's the person who should have got right. nominated. Yes, right. Yes. God, such a brilliant take on those characters. But Denzel is so good. And where's Frances McDormand's nomination for that? Uh, I mean, she, she oh. doesn't need it. I love Frances, but she doesn't. She just won like two times in a row. So, so here's the thing. I gave up on serious Will Smith back with what is it? Seven pounds. Seven pounds. Oh yeah. my God! What a terrible movie. <laughs> garbage and what a terrible performance from him trying to make it a better movie than it is and i kind of gave up on serious will smith other than just watching him on youtube and tiktok and, and that kind of stuff i feel like he acted the hell out of king richard and i feel like the criticism that you guys have have made about it that this is not the most interesting character is just a testament to how good smith was in the role because he made me interested in 
possibly the least interesting character of that family. And I agree, Thomas, you're right. It should have been an ensemble piece. Absolutely, it should have been. And the fact that it's not, yeah, absolutely, that probably makes this more of a Will Smith vanity project. But I liked it. I enjoyed it. I think uh, I think it's his turn, and I'm okay with that. There have certainly been uh, years that Oscars have been given to actors uh, for not their best performance, and you look at it and you go, okay, this is a career Oscar, uh, DiCaprio. Uh, but I think if this is Will Smith's year for his career, then at least it's for a role that it's deservedly for. But ag- again, any of these. Uh, um, I-, I liked Javier Bardem and being the Ricardos. Not my least favorite of the performances there. We'll get into that here in a second. All right, that brings us to actress in a leading role. The nominees are Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Uh, how appropriate, Emily, you are kicking off our discussion on this one. I watched Being the Ricardos begrudgingly. I would not have watched it if I wasn't coming on this podcast and it wasn't free on Amazon Prime. Um, <laughs> so being free <laughs> isn't enough. You also had to have an obligation to have seen it. That's exactly how I felt about it. And then- say i enjoyed it um i will watch the eyes of tammy faye when it finally comes to disney plus in a couple of weeks time unhelpfully and i think the difference between those two performances is i like that nicole kidman's is going to be uh, in a particular moment in time whereas jessica chastain seems to be from like when she's 20 to when she's like 80 or whatever and i think they're very odd things to then try and compare as performances because they're both playing real people and that but i'd like much prefer a moment in time put a pin in that basically i think nicole kidman good did a good job and i didn't hate being the ricardos as much as i thought i was going to but then i was surprised at how many nominations for acting it had where i was like those people what why are they here uh, but i think nicole kidman does deserve to be here um i think her performance was nice that's all i really have to say <laughs> on it um olivia coleman is obviously wonderful and the lost daughter is such a powerful story it's so refreshing to get to see these women be awful and they're not even being awful in they're not like super villains they're not like they're not like horrible horrible mean spirited cruel people they're just people they're just women getting to be people they're women getting to be selfish and unfair and throw away their responsibilities and make bad choices and then have to live with those consequences and then move on from that and they Jesse Buckley, I don't, I don't know why. I just don't like Jesse Buckley. That's why I didn't say much about her. <laughs> I liked her when she was on I'd Do Anything, uh, when she was up for Nancy, but um, now she's come into this, she keeps appearing in bizarre little roles and she was fine as a younger Olivia Coleman, but obviously Olivia Coleman is, is a better Olivia Coleman. And I thought her relationship with, um, why isn't the other woman up for a nomination? What's her name? Dakota Johnson. Why Dakota isn't Johnson. She, yeah. Yeah, that's, why, I, I agree. Call her Dakota Fanning. Why isn't she here? Because she did a really good job. Um, and the two of them, their relationship was really, really wonderful. So I see why Olivia is here. I get that. Uh, so I wouldn't be completely bummed if she got it. And also I think The Lost Daughter being, I love Maggie. I love her. So I'd love her movie to have some some prominence here this evening. But let's be fucking honest, lads. <laughs> it's got to go to Christian. It's got to. It's fucking got to go to Christian Stewart. Oh, yeah, I can see your facial expressions. I'm going to be fighting this one by myself, aren't I? Not mine. Right. <laughs> nope, nope, Spencer, no, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Spencer is majestic. It is a magnificent piece of art that I love and adore. And I finished watching it. 
And I immediately started it from the beginning and watched it all the way through again. I'm noticing a trend about your film watching habits. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And then it finished again. And I sat on my living room carpet with a straight vodka, just sipping and crying and sipping and crying. And it was such a moving experience. And it was so good. And like, this is coming from someone that was like, yeah, alive during the hype of her death, but like, never a massive you know i'm not a massive diana lover but people have come out and said that she does the best impression of princess diana and yes she does but like i love the parallels between kristen stewart's real life and princess diana's real life of the paparazzi and what she brought to that role and i just think i just think it's time that we gave kristen stewart the respect she deserves as an actress we're finally having that renaissance the r pats renaissance let's have the the case stew renaissance and give her a goddamn oscar because she bloody deserves it for putting that shit character on the page so well for Twilight. I love the first Twilight movie. I'll put it out there. I hate the books. I've never seen another single Twilight movie, but the first one is brilliant. Kristen Stewart did not eat and swallow pearls for you to not give her an Oscar nomination and an Oscar. <laughs> Mel. Okay, so this is another category where I was not able to see one of the films. I couldn't see Parallel Mothers because, fuck you, early access, $20? What? Who do you think I am? Yeah, could not see Parallel Mothers. It never even came close to playing anywhere near where I am. Uh, so I did not. Oh, did and, not that, and that early access $20 was only started this weekend. So like you would have had to have watched it last night. We're to this great <laughs> wonderful yeah i just uh I, I couldn't get to that one uh unfortunately so i have no idea how penelope cruz is watch her be the one who wins watch her be the one who takes this completely away uh olivia coleman i love uh in the lost daughter uh and and uh, yeah hooray for maggie gyllenhaal for your you know a freshman effort and having it be that strong uh just across the board Olivia Coleman is she's kind of like J.K. Simmons and Judy Dench in that regard, though, because like she you you can always just count on her to knock it out of the park. So you come to kind of you, it's a little unfair. You kind of want to raise the bar a little bit uh, and expect more from her, which is probably not fair. So I, I don't think it's going to be Olivia Coleman. Nicole Kidman, it seems OK. I did this last year because uh, uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 uh, was here. Another Aaron Sorkin joint that shouldn't really be here. Let other people direct your stuff, man. Go back to writing. Go back to doing what you're good at. Because my problem with Nicole Kidman's performance is that I don't think the writing was there for her to really sink her teeth into. Like, when was the last time? It was probably like like Social Network, maybe Steve Jobs, when we just got a like just a good meaty. Here's a bunch of great dialogue just blah, just coming at you uh, from from one of his characters. Uh, it's just he. He's, he's moving away from that, and I miss it. I feel like if Being the Ricardos had come out in, like, 2005, I think it would have been best picture guaranteed. I, 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 but this is a different Sorkin now. Uh, and I just, I wish I wish Kidman had more to work with uh, in that role. I thought Kristen Stewart, I thought she did a great job. Uh, I thought she did a fantastic job. I, I felt her discomfort just throughout it's, it's, it made it made me want to climb out of my skin just just every minute of that performance uh, so i can only imagine what it was like for for the real diana and, I, and i'm with you emily it's 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 time it's time to give case to her due uh like it really it's it's beyond time it's past time uh, i don't i don't know i don't know who it's gonna be jessica chastain uh that's another one where i think i like a she she's doing great a lot of a lot of its makeup though uh and the makeup's a little weird at, at times it's a little plasticky uh but that's not her fault 
um, I just, I don't, the writing wasn't as strong as I wanted to be. There, there's a meatier, juicier role there as as Tammy Faye than, than what I think the script gave her. So I'm going to go with Kristen Stewart just out of, I, just because I don't know. I don't know. It's messy. It's messy this year. <laughs> You see, this is my least favorite of the categories we're talking about this year. Uh, And I think I I said something similar about it last year. Last year, it was that I hadn't gotten to see most of the nominees. Uh, This year, I've seen all of them. Uh, I'm I'm with Mel. I did not get to see Parallel Mothers. Again, it it just came to VOD like yesterday, and I already had movies slated for last night and this morning to try and fit in before our conversation. So I just, I didn't get to see it. I think, Thomas, you did get to see Parallel Mothers. I think you're the only one here who did. Yes, in an empty theater. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so well, that says a lot right there. So, so one, one of my problems is you look at the actor categories, the supporting actor and actress categories, and those are the movies that are filling out the evening as far as like best picture nominees and best director nominees. And then like actress, they went and picked actresses from completely different movies. Like in order to watch, you had to, 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 to watch completely different movies. Like, what does that say about the state of the actress or the role for the actress right now that the movies that are considered the best movies of the year don't have roles for leading actresses? I, I feel like there's a message in there. Emily is shaking her head. Yes, good. You and I are going to talk about this at some point. <laughs> so I, I, just to – because I'm going to keep to my damn format and not go over all five. Darn it. <laughs> Brave soul. <laughs> um Nicole Kidman's I think it's so funny that you said Jessica Chastain looks plastic because that's the problem I have with Nicole Kidman like they didn't attempt to make Javier Bardem look like uh, Desi Arnaz so why did they try so hard to make Nicole Kidman look like Lucy because it entered into the uncanny valley for me which is supposed to be for freaking animation and like that detracted from her performance and that's not Kidman's fault it's the movie's fault but I couldn't appreciate her performance as much. Also, I don't need hot, sexy Lucy. And that's, again, that's maybe that's a personal shortcoming. But so I just, and, and Kristen Stewart is is good in Spencer. I didn't like the movie. She's good in it. I don't think it's the best performance of the year. I, I think Jessica Chastain takes this one. I think part of the reason she takes this one is because uh, it is a wide scope of years. And I think she plays that effectively. She ages the character effectively over the course of the movie. But I also think it falls into the Will Smith category of she has done a lot of other movies that went unrecognized that she has earned an Oscar nomination for. It's time for her to get the award. Thomas, you're going to finish us up here. Parallel Mothers talk, baby! Um, <laughs> but no, um, I, I did see Parallel Mothers, and I think, uh, like, any time she collaborates with uh, Pedro Moldovar, I think it's a phenomenal performance. Especially with, like, that movie does such a great job of introducing so many new elements. They're just like, oh, wait. Oh, shit. Oh, my God, wait, this is happening now? It's such a great, like, buildup of, like, the melodrama that she plays so artfully. She's incredible in that movie. And, I mean, I give all the credit in the world for Nicole Kidman to be settled with such a fucking stupid interpretation of Lucy. With especially those moments where, like, she's looking at the storyboards and, like, she's talking to the writers about, like, oh, we were thinking of this. And she, like, six senses a comedy bit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, what, what What the fuck is this? This is some Studio 60 bullshit again. She's Sherlock Holmesing it. She's, like, yeah, she's going like, to her yes. mind palace and finding the humor. <laughs> This is just, it's sapping all of the comedy out of comedy. Great, Aaron. Great. Great. Love it so much. This is what we loved about Lucy so much. Um, um, and, you know, like, Olivia Coleman, pretty solid job. And Lost Daughter, I agree with everything 
Emily previously said about that. Chastain is fascinating because I think she's like her performance is such so indicative of like the weirdness of the eyes of Tammy Faye as a movie because it's directed by Michael Showalter of like Wet Hot American Summer fame. Right. So it's this weird movie that draws like is on a tightrope between being like an actual biopic and a camp masterpiece and it doesn't know where to go. And I find that fascinating. And I give her all the credit in the world for going along that tightrope. I think she probably will get it just based on some of the other uh, precursors that she's won already. But man, I'm I'm totally, I am totally with Emily. I loved Stuart so much in Spencer. I think it's such a phenomenal job. Especially Pablo Lorraine does such a great job of taking these historical figures that you know from like photographs or just especially like the, the paparazzi stuff for Diana and turning their lives into claustrophobic horror movies, basically. And I think that's part of what I loved about Spencer so much. It is a great haunted house movie as much as it is an interesting look at you know, her life, Diana's life. I love that. Yeah, I think that's what works so well, because she's stuck in this haunted house, being haunted by the spectral ghost of Timothy Spall, who should have also been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. In <laughs> um, and, and and then getting to have, like, these beautiful moments with her sons, and then also, like, Sally Hawkins, also phenomenal in a smaller performance. It's, yeah, I, <laughs> thank you for being my hammer. Yeah, right, what he said. But, um, but no, uh, I, I, I loved her performance so much. I think it's not just an impression, it's a genuine portrait of a woman trapped in this scenario, and I thought she did such a phenomenal job with it. She would be my favorite, but, you know, I, I think it's them eyes of Tammy Faye. They're going to get it. Okay. <laughs> Again, the diversity of uh, picks here uh, just it just cracks me up. All right, time for the big, the big ones. Uh, best Director, our nominees are Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Ryosuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Mel, kick us off. Well, I thought it was going to be Steven Spielberg for West Side Story, but apparently he completely botched America. (laughs) (laughs) He did! (laughs) Um, Honestly, uh... I got I got to hand it to him though. I mean, I I apparently can't say that if he did a good job or not. Um, but first time out directing a musical uh, and 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 really doing this this strong of a job uh, is really impressive. Um, I watched that the second weekend it came out and I was completely by myself in the theater. Uh, it was amazing. It was wonderful. It's it's what I hope for every time I go to the theater. <laughs> I, I I thought it was great, but I don't I don't think it's going to be him. I don't think it's going to be uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza either because it's. I don't who who said earlier that it was like it was like a Wes Anderson film. It's like accidentally. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's what I feel. <laughs> yeah, it. I also, just the the subject matter. I find the subject matter just skeevy across the board. Uh, like I, I had a lot of difficulty getting into it because like the, the history there is that like this is like semi autobiographical, and he was he also had a crush on the mother of the actress who plays Alana and. That's not cool. That's not cool, guys. We're not going to sit here and pretend like this is okay. To live out your childhood fantasy of an older woman, you know, and have someone pay you money to do it at the same time uh, and get an award? No, I'm not. (laughs) Licorice Pizza is gross. It's the title. It's right there with the title. Licorice Pizza. It's two things that don't go together. They they just should not be together. It's wrong. It's wrong. (laughs) Not a fan. I'm not going to give it to Kenneth Branagh. I liked Belfast. 
we're all on film Twitter a lot, uh, and that place is a shit show. And apparently, <laughs> somewhere along the way, they everybody on film Twitter decided we didn't like Belfast anymore. Uh, and I just, I don't know why. It's not. I don't think it's deserved necessarily, but I don't think it's going to go to Branagh. I felt like. I felt like some of his choices were a little self-congratulatory. Like there's like the kids reading the Thor comic uh, at one point in it. And I, and mm-hmm. I think if you look, if you look, one of his Christmas gifts is, uh, is an Agatha Christie novel. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just like, Oh, stop it. Kenneth. Well, but at the same time, it's, it's like Paul Thomas Anderson. It's like, it's based on his experience as a youth. So it makes sense that he'd throw other references to his life into it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Something about it rubs me the wrong way. Um, but I'm also just a little, I think I'm a little removed from the subject matter than I want to be. It, and I, I blame myself for that, for kind of being unable to connect. I did I did enjoy it. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Uh, and I, I think he did a, a, a good job. I just, uh, it didn't connect with me quite like I, I hoped it would. Uh, Power of the Dog. Uh, I do think it's going to be Jane Campion. I'm sorry I skipped over Drive My Car. I think Drive My Car is going to take Best International Feature, but that's over there. Um, uh, I, I think I think Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. I think everything in that movie just works, just fires on all cylinders, all parts. Um, the, the just the, that vision is so strong. It's it's not lacking in anything. Uh, like it, it really isn't. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember why I gave, only gave it four and a half stars. Truth be told, I'm going to go revisit that, but. But no, that's my money's on the dog. That's a powerful dog. Okay. I I would really like to see Hamaguchi win it for Drive My Car because I think having Parasite win a couple of years ago did wonders for breaking down borders. But Drive My Car is not not Parasite. It's just not that same power of a film. It's a great movie, and I enjoyed it immensely, but I don't think it's the film that wins this. I I think Jane Campion wins it for Power of the Dog. I I think, you know, it it is out of these five movies. Her direction in Power of the Dog is incredible. The performances that she gets out of the actors, the, the, the visual, the way the landscape is presented in some of the shots. And I mean, I just I think it's a beautifully directed film. Uh, and I can't imagine it going to any of the others. I just, I, I, I that's, it's one of those where it's just like, I, I, that's the one and, and, and there's no other contenders to me. Thomas. Um, yeah, I think most of these nominees are pretty incredible. The one I would say I'm really off of is Kenneth Brown with Belfast, not just because of the self-congratulatory stuff with like his career, but also even just his life in general. Just like, look at what I survived and look how, you know, how I managed to get through all of this. And ain't I, wasn't I a cute little kid in that great, Ain't I awesome? Just that like kid I, is I, cute. I, yeah, no, he's a very cute kid. Before I went to RADA and became one of the most successful Shakespearean actors. Uh, right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Look, the, the joke I've always made about that movie is like Kenneth Branagh as a young lad couldn't eat ham, so he made up for it by hamming it up the rest of his career. That's what that fucking movie presents. That's what that fucking movie is. Um, but otherwise, like I was really like bowled over. Even if I'm not say especially huge on driving my car, I did love the direction of it. I think particularly just how many sequences inside of that car, just driving around. The dialogue scenes were still so engaging at every single turn. It made it so visually dynamic. Um, Spielberg, I'm so glad to see managed to make his musical and did such a stellar job with it. Even with I get some of the concerns that say like Emma had earlier with some of the numbers but i still think like it works for like Spielberg applying like his sort of like propension for like action sequences 
to a musical number, I think, in ways that are, like, so stellar. Even, like, the American number, I think, does it, where it's just, like, we're presenting these dangers, but also the environments they're in, what the America they're either striving against or striving for is. And I love the way that he visually presents all that stuff. I'll get to Licorice Pizza, I guess, in a bit, because that was controversially my favorite of these nominees, I guess. Hot take. Uh, (laughs) But I would say Jane Campion's probably going to win it. And I'd have, it's no disservice to Campion, um, who I think is like, does, like you said, like such a great job with the Lancius, but also like the macro stuff is so incredible, but also the micro stuff, which yes. is like the sequence where they share the cigarette is oh, one of yeah. the best directed sequences of last year, for sure. And I just went through like all of her movies recently for the uh, Blank Check podcast, the, the miniseries on her. And I think they just seeing how much she's grown from all the way back in her New Zealand days to like this, I think it's such a stellar job. But I agree that she's probably going to get it. Um, and I wouldn't be against her winning it either. Okay. Emily. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, guys. West Side Story is beautifully directed. It is It is tons better than the original movie. It was just, I'm such a fan that those two big set pieces were just disappointing for me in comparison to how they were done in the original. I just, it's literally down to preference. But the way Spielberg directs West Side Story is brilliant it's bringing back the old it's it's everything people wanted la la land to be in the adverts it's bringing back old musical hollywood to now everyone was roaring about the puddle shot and i couldn't wait to see it and then i did finally see it and i was like oh my god it lives up to everything that i could have wanted he takes these incredibly iconic moments and these well-known songs and he does such vibrant and well-directed things with them like it's all beautifully i mean fuck that shot just before the rumble with the shadows coming Mm -hmm. together on the floor beautiful like such good stuff so if spielberg took it i wouldn't i would be like yeah no fair enough that's absolutely fine to be honest that's okay and like the ending of west side story just a shout out to steven spielberg like everybody knows how west side story ends and I'd been told that usually Maria sings There's a Place for Us reprise and it's the most moving and brilliant moment of the whole show. And someone had told me before I sat down to watch the new version that she doesn't do that at the end. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I thought it was um, (laughs) disgusting. I thought it was a sin. I was like, Spielberg, who the hell do you think you are taking that moment away from us? I can't believe you've done this. (laughs) The hell, Stephen? And then I saw that he gave it to uh, Rita Marino and I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, we'll see where this goes and I was fine and I was fine and I was fine and then the way he shoots that ending with Maria running with her suitcase and then and then the gunshot and like the gun fired and out of nowhere I did a Belfast again and I was like oh god like completely distraught like in in zero to distraught from just the direction of that moment that I knew was coming for the last two and a half hours, which, by the way, flew by the only movie in this entire Google Doc that was over two hours that didn't feel it. Yeah, I I agree with that. (laughs) Kudos to you, Spielberg. So just like full on shout out to Steven Spielberg. I'm only picky because I love it so much. I just felt America was disjointed. And honestly, it's just the way that Rita Moreno says, you forget I'm in America. And Ariana couldn't do that because Rita had already said it like that. She couldn't say it like that. And it's just disappointing. Obviously, give it to Jane Campion. She's majestic. And I love her so much. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That brings us to the last award of the night. Best picture, uh, including some films we haven't gotten to talk about yet. So uh, the nominees are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, 
Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. And just to take a minute to talk about some of these that we haven't gotten to talk about, Coda it's in itself, like we've already talked about it a little bit here or there, but it being an adaptation of an international film that didn't didn't well represent the very people that are represented in the film. It didn't make use of hearing impaired people in its cast, the original. Uh, so to when they when they make an American version of that and they go, oh, that was a fuck up. Let's make sure we don't repeat that mistake. And as as a narrative goes, Coda is very formulaic. Thomas kind of hit on that earlier. It, it just it feels very formulaic uh, to me, but I enjoyed the ride. It hit me at the right emotional moments because of because of the acting. I mean, I just I I think it had some phenomenal performances. As I said, I liked Don't Look Up. I don't think it deserved a best Oscar nomination as, <laughs> as much fun as I had with it. Dune, uh, I, I, I've talked with uh, several of you about uh, just, just inside conversations. I, I'm apparently just not a Dune fan. I've read the book up until about the point that this movie ends, and then I've lost interest in the book. I've tried to watch the original movie version a couple of times. I, I just And I didn't like this. For, like I can watch it and go, oh, it's a good movie, but it's just not for me. Nightmare Alley is an interesting movie like i i wish it was a better film but it's it's interesting that it got some oscar attention like bradley cooper was in two of these films that we've talked about but no real attention to him either because he's in this and in licorice pizza but i think you know we've we've already hit on so many of these other movies and kind of talked about our issues with them and stuff i i think the power of the dog is the best movie of this year uh, so that I will not be surprised if it if it wins. And, and truth is, it's not like last year where there were films on the list where I was like, if that wins, I'm going to be so disappointed. Because last year I did feel that way. And of course, that's what won. Um, but this year I look at this list and it's like, whatever wins at the end of the night, I'm kind of happy with. I'm not terribly disappointed. I think there are movies on this list, as I just said, that are good movies. They're not best of the year type contenders. But it's still a really good list of movies. But I, I think Power of the Dog is going to end up taking it, and I think it deserves it. Thomas. Well, I think it's such a fascinating like best picture lineup in terms of there's a solid variety of movies I didn't anticipate where there's a, some of them I loved, some of them I liked but didn't necessarily love as much, some that I kind of respect even though I didn't like them, and then like at the bottom is Don't Look Up, uh, which is a self-congratulatory, <laughs> masturbatory bullshit movie. Um, I but, knew you had to get one more in. I knew you had to get one more in. <laughs> Look, I saved it for the long haul. Like, don't look up. Because everyone loves a comedy bit that lasts two hours and 20 fucking minutes. But, um... I mean, I, I think, uh, like, to to address, like you said, like, the two movies we haven't really talked about. Dune, I agree. I'm not a huge fan just based on, like, having watched a couple of the adaptations and my co-host Adam Thomas is such a massive fan of that source material. But I'll give credit to, like, Denny Villeneuve for making the Dune adaptation I can, like, tolerate at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see if he can take, like, this is all the stuff that I actually kind of liked about, at least what I've seen of Dune, as opposed to the second part is going to be the real test for me. Because that's all the shit I never, that's, that's always the point where I don't really care about the story anymore. <laughs> <laughs> is after they join the Fremen and all that crap. Uh, Nightmare Alley, I think, is fascinating for being here. I think it's more of just, like, a, a nomination, because, like, one, obviously, Del Toro had been nominated and won previously with, like, Shape of Water. Also, maybe a bit of, like, a man, you got so fucked over by Disney when they just decided to release you against Spider-Man No Way Home. Like, yeah. I did a double feature of those two movies, and it was the contrast of <laughs> massive theater. No one was in Nightmare Alley. It felt like there was the meme going around of, like, um, Goodfellas, 
where it was like Joe Pesci going into the one room is Nightmare Alley. Just to use the other guy's mind. Because <laughs> that's basically what it was, before. So that movie got led to its death. Um, and then all the other nominees we've really talked about. So in terms of what I think will win, I think Power of the Dog will win. And that's one of the ones definitely I would not be against winning. I think it's an incredible movie. I think it's a stellar example. And especially it's so great to see one that would be such a subtle, quiet movie win one of these awards. I think it would be a stellar choice. I want to at least defend Licorice Pizza a bit in terms of, I get what Mel's talking about in terms of it is an icky subject matter, what it's going for, but I think the movie is very well aware of that. And I think it really is a movie that, it, I, it is kind of meandering, like Rafe said before, but I think that's to the movie's compliment. Because I think what works so well about that movie is it's a look at these two people who are at opposite ends of the spectrum. One is a young person trying to become, like grow up, and the other one is an older person trying to get back to a younger age. And all the examples around them are fucking awful people who mm-hmm. did similar mistakes like this before and just did shitty awful things and are like terrible examples sometimes to a funny amount like particularly brad the cooper as john peters is such a funny, funny <laughs> um but i think it's it's a movie where like he knows like he's just sort of like grappling with that i think it's the complete contrast to belfast where that's a movie that totally celebrates like yeah growing up in this particular age made me like those are the the good old days in terms of they're the eight days that shaped me as opposed to Paul Thomas Anderson is looking at that particular era and acknowledging, like, there's some fun stuff there, but ultimately there is a lot of, like, ugliness and disturbingness and just a sadness of just, like, these two actors who I... Just such a cra- shout-out to, like, Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim, I think, are phenomenal in that movie. Yes. And I think do such a great job of exemplifying what I'm talking about in terms of, like, they're both people who are at opposite ends of the spectrum that, like, meet at a middle point. And I think a movie avoids as much of the, the actual ickiness as possible. Just ultimately, so, like, he's the aggressor. She is constantly, like, trying to not go that far, but that doesn't mind the attention. Um, and I think it does such an incredible job of, like, balancing all this messy stuff. Except for the John Michael Higgins scene, which I agree is pretty bad. I don't know. Oh, I, t- I, I agree with all the discourse is bad. I don't it did like not it. belong in this movie. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it was really not necessary. Uh, and especially if you're going to do that, but not give the Japanese women at the center of those conflicts, like, any kind of actual character. Really. Right. Yeah. That's the one issue I have with it. But otherwise, I think it's a pretty great movie. But Power of the Dog, I think, is going to get it. All right. Emily. Yeah, Power of the Dog should 100% take it. It's so nice to, it's such a, like, people talk about it being like, oh, it's a slow burner and, like, all of these things. And it's like, yes, that's nice. Like, you have to watch the movie. You have to pay attention to the movie. Like, it's completely character-driven and it's thoughtful and it's beautifully shot and, like, all of the things that everyone's been saying all evening. Like, yes, absolutely. Like, give it to the Power of the Dog. Nightmare Alley is so long. It's so long. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a long movie. (laughs) You're like, still watching pause. it. I'm in like isolation and I had to pause it and like walk around my flat and then come back and like continue. And I was like, oh my God, Bradley, we st- we're still here. And like, I was really engaged in the first half of the movie thinking we were ramping up to something. And then of course the movie doesn't start until like Kate Blanchett walks in, which is like halfway through the movie. And I've already given all of my love and attention to the first half of the movie, which is now irrelevant. And now we have to have this whole other movie. And I'm like, oh, my God, can we just get to the really obvious, like, freaks ending, please? Like, oh God. <laughs> and they don't give you that. That's yeah. the problem. They don't give you that. <laughs> this movie should have fucking ended with Bradley Cooper eating a chicken. Yeah, God right? damn it. <laughs> I would argue that all movies should end that way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love the fact that you're bashing on this movie for being really long. And we have Drive My Car sitting over there, which is 40 <laughs> minutes into the movie before you get the opening fucking credits. I love that. I love I that. More people should do that. 
like the trouble with Nightmare Alley was it was just it was just a lot of stuff and there was so much stuff happening like it got to a point where I was like if Willem Dafoe's fucking monologue about the geek doesn't come fucking full circle anytime soon I'm a fucking personally write to Guillermo del Toro and complain like this needs to happen and then thank god it did it took right. so long though and I was like oh god why do people keep putting Rooney Mara and things she's so bland <laughs> to watch her face is just so like <laughs> Um, I really, she's like Jesse Buckley for me. I don't know what it is. I just really, every time she's in something, I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry, Rooney. Like, you're obviously really good, but like, <laughs> and then, yeah, I honestly like blacked out. I came back in and then like Kate Blanche was being smug and I was like, I guess she double crossed him. I don't care or know why. Like, why? <laughs> it's so long and like, it, sh- it should have been so good. I was so excited to have this like gothic noir. I loved all of the like carnival imagery at the beginning. Um, loved Willem Dafoe, loved the whole thing that like, oh, I can see where Bradley Cooper's going to end up at the end of this movie, but it took another like hour of just some like bullshit happening. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so bored. Um, so I really don't think it deserves to be best picture. That's just me personally. Dune, again, I was not willing to pay $13.99 to watch a desert for like four <laughs> hours. That's what I think Dune is, right? <laughs> like the desert. <laughs> um, I really liked, oh, I didn't really like, I watched the first one, the 80s one. I just didn't have a clue what was going on. And I don't think I'm alone in that. And I, I have heard that this one does a better job at telling you what's going on. But like a lot of people have said here, I think it's just, it's not my jam, man. Give me a dragon over a sci-fi any day. I'd love Coda to sweep in there as a little Disney original movie, <laughs> which it really is. <laughs> Um, but like, let's be honest, like, let, let's give it to the power of the dog where it belongs. All right, Mel. Okay, let me see how fast I can do this. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay, okay. All right. So I, I have to ask, I have to ask, don't look up. Anybody can go first. What What's your problem with don't look up? Uh, I just, I just, just tell me no judgments. I just want to know. It's really long. It's really long. I found the final 10 minutes moving, but they did not justify the two hours of like on the nose jokes that I just sat through and that that whole spiel that the director did one point of a behind the scenes bit where he was like Meryl Streep improvised that phone conversation 12 times in a row I'm from improv but like my god she's she's an it's like fucking shut up like (laughs) oh she like improvised a line 12 times Go to any fucking underground bar, theater, nightclub. There are a million of improvisers probably doing a million bad things in Meryl Streep. No offense, Meryl. Like, that's not, that doesn't make your movie good. It's just on the nose. And just, why is it here? Like, it's fine. But it's like if Step Brothers was here. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, very good. Oh, Tommy? Um, it's a funnier die skit that goes on for really long. That's It has all the profundity of a fucking funnier die video from like 2009. God, <laughs> it just okay. goes on for fucking ever. <laughs> Um, it's, I, I think it's really interesting because I had, by the time I got to it, I had already just read just everybody just taking it out behind the woodshed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it because I think, I think after you elect Donald Trump, you forfeit the right to have anything subtle or nuanced for a little <laughs> while, not forever, not forever, not indefinitely. I think that the, the, the era didn't. of subtlety, the era of subtlety will come back one day. But right now, 
I don't think so. I think we squandered that moment in time. Uh, and for a little while, uh, some things are going to have to be this shamelessly overt. I think it also says a little bit about the kind of person you are, because while I'm watching it, I'm cheering for the asteroid the whole time. <laughs> because, because we had our chance and we blew it. So, yeah. Let it end, burn it all down because we don't deserve to keep it. Yeah, I, I, it, it resonated with me on more levels than I expected it to. Yeah, not. Yeah, I, I, I watched that one, and that was kind of my takeaway at the end. Is yeah, we deserved that. Uh, the, I, I think the my, yeah, my like cabin in the woods does that better. Like, let's be honest. I, but see, I don't feel that way about the end of cabin in the woods. The end of cabin in the woods pisses me off. Oh, Aww. see. It's, it's funny that you said that about Cabin in the Woods because I, I've actually had that in my notes because, yeah, I just I think yeah, it's time for someone else to have a chance. The whenever all the, the spoilers for don't look up whenever all the wealthy people land on the new when the one percent lands on the new planet. Uh, and, and you're as a viewer, you're just like, you're just going to fuck this one up, too. Yep. I, I mean, I think the the my biggest complaint is honestly that this movie was it's supposedly not really an allegory because it's not subtext it's text uh, for climate change. But I think it ends up being more apropos in the time of covid. Yes. Simply because it proves it proves what you kind of all feared. And that's that. No, there is no level of atrocity possible that can bring humanity together. We will fail each other given the chance and and that's terrible i it i love i love that the movie even debunks the hopeful ending of the very nihilistic watchman um, which even watchman says there's a chance we can get our act together but no there's not uh it's too late it's too late for us i i i think some people don't like not not you guys necessarily i just think some people don't like don't look up because yeah there there's there's you in the mirror and it sucks um, but I've spent way too much time talking about that. So I'm moving on. I drive my car. I love it. I, I love it so much. It's one of those movies where you're like, you're watching it the entire time and you're like, this is good. This is good. This is good. And you think, then you get to the last shot and you realize that you're crying. Uh, and you're like, oh shit. I didn't realize that this, this worked on me quite to the level that it did. Uh, but it's, it's refreshing because it's, it lets you know that you were absorbing all the salient details along the way, even if you didn't realize you were. Uh, so I, I love that, but I don't think it's going to do it. Uh, Dune. I did not love Dune. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to so badly. And this is one of those scenarios when uh, I had a professor in college who anytime he would give us something brilliant uh, and we didn't like it or care for it, he would always say, to what deficiency within you do you attribute your ability to appreciate this film? Uh, And that's kind of how I feel about Dune. I feel like there's something broken in me that kept me from loving it. But it just, I think it boils down to the fact that I did not connect with any single character on an emotional level at any point. I'm very excited for part two. I will definitely go and see it. Uh, but yeah, uh, did did not work for me. I do feel like if anything wins for Best Picture, it's going to be part two. I think they're going to do a Return of the King uh, with that one, even though Fellowship deserved it. It's going to have to be a lot better than this one in order to to, to, to get that, I think. Uh, and I, I definitely agree. Uh, didn't hate it. Just It just wasn't enough for me. I also didn't really... like. The, it leans heavily on the hope that you are very familiar with the source material and I'm not. 
Uh, and that's my fault for going into that, but it doesn't hold your hand at all. And I guess I don't really want it to, but at the same time, I needed a little help easing into that world. And they were just like, nope, go read the book. Well, and I have to ask, not not to extend your time even further here, Mel, but I have to <laughs> ask, how do you feel about the fact that it's essentially another white savior movie? Oh my gosh. Here, Okay. Not knowing where the story ends Uh, I will say this, there is a line and I'm going to botch this and I don't remember who said it. Someone says something about we're, we're just, we're waiting to see like who, whoever else it is who takes over, uh, like are, uh, are they going to be a force for good or a force for evil? Uh, and it, it, it cuts to Timothy Chalamet. It's the, the cinema literacy there tells you that Timothy Chalamet tells me that the way that previous uh, shot is framed, that Timothy Chalamet is not going to be a net positive for this conflict. Now, I haven't read the story, so I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like it's setting itself up as a white savior story, but that moment, that that cut, that transition, suggests to me that Chalamet is gonna fuck this completely up and he, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be bad because he's there. Uh, so if that's the direction we end up going, that it's not a white savior movie at all, it's just in the it's currently in the guise of one, but we subvert that, then yeah, I'm, I'm on board. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, I I just don't know. Okay. So uh, let's see. Licorice Pizza, eh, didn't love it. Nightmare Alley, gorgeous. Also didn't love it. Uh, I'm kind of with Emily on that one. Uh, it's over long and you knew exactly where it was going from very early on, uh, which is, that's a dangerous game to play. Power of the Dog is my vote. Uh, I, I, think, I think that's going to be... I think that's going to be the killer this year. West Side Story, I did love. Uh, <laughs> I did love Steven Spielberg's version of America. Oh, See, you but, are uh, a musical guy, Mel. I hate to tell you. <laughs> um, I love Tick, Tick, Boom. Why isn't Tick, Tick, Boom nominated for, for Best Picture? I was thinking that. That's a good question. I would, I would trade, I would trade. Don't look up for Tick, Tick, Boom in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, I would too easily. Yeah, without, without it, I wouldn't even have to think twice about that. But no. Uh, Power of the dog. I I just I love the idea of uh, Phil being this kind of remnant of an era that not even is dying but has died at this point. Like the old West is over. It's 1925, and just just holding on to this facade, this thing that never really existed in the way we tell stories about the old west like it was never really like that. But we've romanticized it to the point where it's almost unrecognizable. Uh, I just. I just love like all of that veneer getting peeled back layer by layer, stripped away uh, over the course of the runtime. Just, yeah, just, just a, just a beautiful film. Loved it. The question I meant to ask uh, on the best director is, will Jane Campion thank Sam Elliott in her uh, acceptance speech? All right. Well, so those are our predictions in the major categories. We'll find out if we are correct as the Oscars are coming up this coming Sunday, March 27th at 8 o'clock. Uh, Emily, I don't even know what that is your time. Do you even watch the Oscars? We can't like it's it's never like available to watch. It's either on some obscure channel that we don't have access to, or they just don't show it here. Oh. Or if they do, it's at like one o'clock in the morning, and then you have work the next day, so you can't stay up because it's like nine hours long. Although you know they're cutting all the important categories, so I guess maybe I'll have time to watch it this year. <laughs> but you're gonna miss all those Amy Schumer jokes, right? Right. Oh God, is it Amy Schumer? We had Rebel hosting the Baftas, and oh boy. I wanted her to do well so badly, and she yeah, did not. Yeah, it's Amy Schumer, it's um, Regina Hall, and uh, Wanda Sykes, right? Yes. Are the three hosts. Oh, yep. okay. Two out of three, those aren't bad. 
<laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go around one more time uh, and tell people where they can find you. Uh, we gave uh, show information at the beginning of the show, but in case like people have fallen in love with your voice over the course of listening to this and want to find out where they can find you, so Thomas. <laughs> Uh, well, I do a podcast called Double Edge Double Bill, where uh, every week Adam and I choose a random double feature uh, based um, on our own personal ideas of what the topic would end up being. And so we end up getting a good and bad movie that we talk about. Around this time, we will have put out our Penelope Cruz episode in honor of her getting the nomination here, where we would have picked uh, Volver, her, the Pedro Moldovar movie, and also Ridley Scott's The Counselor as the two movies, so that should be interesting. Uh, we just did our 200th episode recently as well, and um, you can find us, you know, on Podbean or Talk Film Society, and uh, we also have uh, Twitter, Facebook, at DEDBpod, and become a patron for $1. You get bonus podcasts, you get to vote in polls for stuff. And also, I'm at NotTheWho'sTommy on Twitter, and I do some writing at both my blog, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com, and at Film-Cred.com, where I'm a staff writer. All right. Emily. Uh, yeah. Uh, Why This Film Podcast looks back at the movies of your childhood, and we're currently going through all of the Barbie movies. Yes, uh, you are. In a Barbie world. <laughs> They're amazing. Genuinely really good films. Princess and the Pauper should have been up for Best Picture the year it came out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> genuinely should have done. Um, you can find across all podcasting platforms or on Twitter at Why This Film Pod. Um, and yeah, get in touch if you want to come on the show. All right, Mel. Uh, I am at Tangent1985 on Twitter uh, and also on the YouTube channel of the same name, Tangent1985. We haven't had a new episode in like a super long time because I recently went into freelancing uh, screenwriting. Uh, so if you've got an idea for a screenplay you need written, give me a call <laughs> or reach out to me on Twitter. But there's still videos on the Tangent 195, uh, Tangent 1985 website. Uh, feel free to check those out and you can listen to me talk about things all from whatever, all over the place. <laughs> See, that's a better reason to not have a show in a while. Mine is I was trying to have a social life and date and then I got into a crippling depression. So I haven't had an episode in a while. <laughs> I think yours is a better reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Again, you can see the Oscars this coming week. Um, you can uh, keep the conversation about your picks going with me uh, on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Town Hess, T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or you can email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Thomas and Emily and Mel for coming on and making this a possibility for a second year in a row. Until next week, I'll say, because that's what's in the script, I'm Rave Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. <laughs>